you have your Bibles, you'll turn to the book of James, the first chapter. James chapter 1. Okay, fill in the blank. Don't just stand there. How many of you have ever heard that before? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever said that before? Raise your hand. Don't just stand there. Do something. You know, whenever you hear that phrase, that story, I always go back to an old story I guess I heard even growing up with Jerry Clower. You know, Jerry Clower and his friend Marcel Ledbetter went coon hunting one night, and as they went coon hunting, uh, there was a coon that they thought got treed up in a sycamore tree, and uh, the way um, Marcel is, he feels like every raccoon should get a best chance, so he wanted to go up in the tree and shake him out and get him down on the ground. But as Marcel went up on the tree, he discovered it wasn't a raccoon, but it was a lynx, which is this medium-sized wildcat, and all of a sudden, the whole tree began shivering and quivering and shaking, and and uh, and there was all this concern up there as to what was going on. And he was screaming down at Jerry. And he says, Jerry, you got to help me. He says, says, shoot up in here. Got to shoot him. Got to kill this thing. And Jerry says, well, I'm scared. If I shoot up there, I may hit you. He says, just shoot. He says, it doesn't matter to me. One of us has got to get some relief. Just do something. You know, I thought about that phrase, do something. You realize that it can mean two different things depending on where you put the emphasis. If you put the emphasis on the first word, do. Don't just stand there, do something. Don't just stand there, do something. When you put the emphasis on the first word, it is something that I have an idea that you need to specifically do something about this. For instance, a health situation. Somebody passes out and a family member is standing over them and they look to you and they say, don't just stand there, do something. Well, you know what you're supposed to do. You've either got to call 911, you've either got to do CPR, but it's all circled right here on this person. So sometimes there's a little bit of a panic. Don't just stand there, do something. But when you put it on the second word, the emphasis on the word something, Don't just stand there, do something. It's different. Don't just stand there, do something. Do something. Get off your blessed assurance and do something. Be productive, do something. It's where the woman of the house comes in and she looks and she says, I'm kind of tired of you playing video games 24-7. So will you put down the Xbox controller, stop playing Titanfall, get off the sofa and do something? And so after she's talked to her husband, she then goes to talk to her children. Do something. We're doing a series and call, and we're entitled to do something. But the emphasis isn't going to be on the first word, the second word. It's not going to be out of panic, and it's not going to be do something out of nagging. It's going to be do something because we need to be action-oriented in our mentality. It means that when we look into God's Word, that we're going to see things that we need to do, and we're going to do something. For some, it may be a change of perspective as we go through this series. 
For some, it may mean taking a stand, even as 45 probate judges took a stand this past week to where they said, uh, same-sex marriage, we can't agree with that. It's against what our belief is in Scripture, and so we're, we're going to make a stand and not issue those marriage licenses. It may be an adjustment of a schedule. It may be doing things differently now than you've done before. It may be that you make a change in your career direction. It may be that you take a huge step of faith. But what it is, is you're going to do something. It's action-oriented. And it seems like out of all the scripture, one of the most action-oriented books is the book of James. And the book of James talks to us about not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. Now, we're going to read out of James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And, and for today's message, I'm reading out of the New International Version. Often, it'll go with English standard, but this is the New International Version. I like the way it's phrased for this passage. So let's look. Starting in the 22nd verse, he says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Doug Moo is a um, a New Testament scholar. And Doug Moo made this statement. He says, the Christian must not think he's done with the word of God after it has saved him. That word becomes a permanent, inseparable part of the Christian, a commanding and guiding presence within him. Look at that last part of that phrase. A commanding and guiding presence within him. That means that God's word, when it comes into our heart, is a commanding and guiding presence, which means it directs us in our life. It means it's action-oriented. It's not a listening exercise. It's a doing exercise. And so James writes this, and he says, you don't just need to be hearers of the word. You need to be doers of the word. And what that means is we need to accept and act on the Word of God. Once you get the Word of God, you need to be a doer, a person of action. And the Word has really never been truly received until it is put into practice. And as believers and even members of this church, we are not to just sit and soak in the pew, but what we're to do is we're to act on God's Word, accept God's Word, and act on that Word, and be a doer of the Word, and not just a hearer only. And so as James gives us this challenge, he says, let me put it in this way. Let me, let me show it as a mirror. And so he uses an illustration of a mirror, and then that word, God's word, is also going to be seen as that same mirror. So you take a mirror, and in verse 23, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. Now during that day, their mirrors were polished metal like uh, silver or copper or tin. And they would look into these metal whenever they were washing their face or shaving their beard or putting on whatever cosmetics that they may have. 
they would do that with this mirror. So they under, the readers understand this. And he says, it is like one who looks into a mirror. Well, I thought about this, and, and everybody's house has got mirrors, but yet there are different ways that you look in a mirror. And there are about four different ways that you look in a mirror. The first thing that you do is what's called catch a glimpse. Catch a glimpse is what you do in the morning. First thing you get out of bed, if you're getting ready to go over to go to the bathroom or go downstairs, get a cup of coffee, whatever, usually walk into a room that's got a mirror. You'll turn a light on, you'll take a glimpse in the mirror, you don't like what you see. And you go, ugh, you turn it off and you walk back out. That's it. It's the glimpse. We're here, we're there, we see it, we don't like it, we move on. But then the second way is what's called the glare. The glare in the mirror is when you get into the bathroom, you turn on the light, and you look into the mirror, and you just begin to get angry. You look in there and you say, this haircut, this is not what I asked for, okay? And how many times have I told them how to cut the hair and it just doesn't work? The haircut doesn't work. You're looking at your outfit. It's either too long, too short, too tight. It's out of date, out of style, should have never even been taken out of the closet. And you're looking at this and you just begin to get angry over it. Or you look really close and you look in there and all of a sudden there's that big pimple and you got Sadie Hawkins dance coming up. And it's like, I'm just, you know, I'm just glaring at the mirror. I do not like what I see in the mirror. And part of me doesn't even want to accept it. You just glare. The other's called the glance. Now, the glance is what most of us do when we're in a hurry and we're, we're eating our breakfast or eating a meal and we're going to run out of the house. We've got next thing to run to. And you always jump by a mirror, take the quick glance, see what I'm looking like, and then you walk out. Oftentimes, when you do the glance, you see something that needs to be corrected, like the lettuce in your tooth. You know, you've had those over there. If not, your friends have, okay? And so you see that, and you go, okay, yeah, I got to get to that. And then you rush back, you pick, up, you pick up your books and stuff, you get in your car, and you begin to drive off, and you completely forget about it. You just glanced. You saw some things, but you didn't take care of it. I don't have time. I'll get it later. I'll think about it when I, when I get there. But then the fourth is what's called the gaze. And the gaze in the mirror is when you come and you thoroughly study the reflection in the mirror. And when you look, you begin to see things that need to be changed or improved, and you make the changes. Ties got to be straightened. Hair's got to be fixed. There's a few changes. Once I got that, I take a look. I'm set, and I'm ready to go. Just get your four options as to how you look into a mirror. And you know, the same way we look into a mirror every day in our life is the same way we look into God's word every day of our life. And when we look into God's word, we will fall in one of two areas. We'll either be hearers only or we'll be doers. Now, if you're a hearer only, if you're a hearer, you are a person who is a glimpser, a glarer, and a glancer. You glimp. Take a little glimpse, take a glare, or you glance at it. The Bible says that we are to be not hearers only. That means like you don't just listen to a sermon, you don't just read the word and, and read the words and let them do nothing. You are to act on the information and you're to apply what's being taught. So if you're a hearer only, this is the way you look into God's word. You open up the mirror of God's word and you just take a glimpse of it. What that means is you just hear a little bit of the message. You don't like what you hear, so you turn it off. 
It could be in a sermon to where all of a sudden we hit a particular area that you really don't like, and so you say, I'm just going to shift it into neutral. It could be that you're reading God's Word, and you read God's Word, and you're liking this, and all of a sudden it hits something right here you don't like. And you say, oh, just, I don't want to deal with that. You just put it aside. It's just a glimpse of it. Hear a little bit, read a little bit, then I'm done. Second is the glare. That's when you have an angry assertiveness when you open up God's Word. When you hear or read the Bible, it speaks to your sin, and you get angry, and you just disregard it. Because what happens is you open up the Bible and you see a reflection of the person that you are. And you see a person who's living outside the will of God, who's headed toward destruction and heartache. And the first thing is, is you get angry and many times you deny that and you say, well, this is just wrong. This is just wrong. It shouldn't be wrong. I'm fine with this. Or you read it and you get angry because you say, I can never change this. This is who I am. I'm stuck this way. And you just get angry. I can't do anything about it. I don't want any more to do with it. And it just makes me angry when I take a look into God's word. The Bible says you're either a hearer or a doer. And when you're a hearer only, this is what happens. This is where you get to the point to where you just deny who you are when you open up God's word. I like that old story about the mountaineer. Uh, he and his wife, they'd lived up in the mountains their whole life, and they'd never seen a mirror. He'd never seen a mirror in his life. And here he is late in life, and all of a sudden, he comes across a mirror. And so for the very first time in his life, he picks up this mirror, and he sees this reflection, and his first response was this. I didn't know that my pappy ever got his picture taken. But when his wife picked it up, and she looked at it, she said, ah, so this is that old hag you've been running around with. <laughs> You see, no one wants to, to accept that this is who I am. We want to deny and say, no, this, this isn't me. Or if it is me, just say, it can't change. You just can't change. And there's almost like an anger when you come and you look in God's word. And you won't let the word of God penetrate into your heart. But I think most fall into the part of where the glance is. And that's where we open up God's word and we just glance at it. When you look in the passage of Scripture, and it says in verse 24, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Looking at himself is a word that means to notice or to observe, which what that means is when I read something, I do notice something that needs to be changed. I do observe something that is wrong or different in my life, and I believe it should be changed but not right now. And so what I do is I just go on with life, and before you know it, I have forgotten about it, and nothing ever changes. Because what I did, I just took a glance at God's Word. Convicted of sin, realized that something needs to be done. There's a relationship that needs to be repaired. There's an attitude that's getting out of control. There's a wrongful action that is now developed into a dangerous habit. There's a spiritual neglect that has gone from occasional to now. That's the norm. But what you did was you decided to wait until later. And the conviction passed, and you soon forgot. See, a mere hearer of the word hears the word, but it's soon forgotten, and it has no abiding influence in their life. You could be one that's a member of this church. You could come um, 
at a very consistent rate. You can be a part of a Sunday school. You can be in a weekday Bible study. You can read a devotion every morning. And yet you could go all through that and just be a hearer of the word and never let it penetrate your heart in your life. Makes no difference. It makes no difference. Let me help you with this. Jesus never called people to be listeners. He called people to be followers. Jesus never called people to sit around in groups and just listen. He called them to be followers. And he says, you listen to my words. My words are the words of life. But once you take those words of life, you then take that, apply it to your life, and make a difference. Today in churches, we have too many people that are content to hear with no action. James says that this is as much benefit as one who looks in a mirror and he's got food in his teeth, he's got disheveled hair and he's got a crooked tie and he doesn't brush his teeth, he doesn't comb his hair and he doesn't straighten his tie. What good is a mirror for? Does that make sense? If I'm looking in the mirror and it tells me I've got all these things I need to deal with and I never deal with them, what good is the mirror for? And when we come to God's word, God's word is not an academic exercise, it's a book of action. And it's where we don't just study it so that we can share theological truths. We study it so that we see what these truths mean in my life and then what changes do I need to make. I need to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. It's a call to action. And God's word is a call to action. In Hebrews 4.12, written in the, in the message, it says this. God means what he says and what he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to do what? To listen and to obey. To be a hearer of the word and to be a doer of the word. That's what God's word is. It is stronger than a two-edged sword. It can just slice and dice right through, cuts through all the emotions, all the questions, all the excuses, all our defenses, and it just opens us up for who we are. And when that happens, and we're to listen to that word, and then we're to obey that word, oh, and that's when life change begins to happen. You see, hearers are people that will just take a glimpse of God's word. They either glare into it or they'll glance at it. But doers are gazers. Doers are gazers. Look at verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's God's word, the man that looks intently. That word literally means to bend down or to stoop over. It shows intensity and curiosity. You bend over, you look forward in this position. It's the same word that was used in the book of John when John ran to the tomb and they said, it's empty. And it says that he bent over and stooped over and looked in there. There was an intensity there. It's the same word when Mary came to the tomb, had that intensity, stooped over, looking at it. It says that in verse 25, that the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He hadn't forgot what he's heard, but he is doing it. Gazers look intently at the word of God and then they do something. They do something. You say, you've looked in the word of God, it's spoken to their heart and they said, you know what? I can't just let this go. I've got to apply this. I have got to make a change in my life. I have got to do something. 
It's interesting. If you take the, the Greek word that is there for this doer and you look up in a Greek lexicon, it says one who does something. Huh, sounds like a sermon series. One who does something. One who does something. He says the one who acts on God's words. Doers or gazers who act rather than hearers who forget. Let me give you some examples of doers as gazers. Doers are gazers. You gaze into the mirror of God's word. You see yourself for who you really are, and you do something. You repent of your sins, and you make the necessary corrections in your life. Doers are gazers. You look into the mirror of God's word. You read Jesus' plea to deny yourself, take up his cross, take up your cross, and follow him, and you do something. You become a compassionate reflection of Jesus Christ at your work or at your school. Your attitude towards your job, your boss, your coaches, your teacher, they all change so that God will be glorified. Doers are gazers. Husbands and wives, you gaze into the mirror of God's word and you read the Apostle Paul say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband and you do something. You improve the way you treat your spouse. You improve the way you express your love and respect. Doers are gazers. As a child or a teenager, you gaze into the mirror of God's word and you read, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And you do something. You show respect for your parents and you honor your father and you honor your mother. Doers are gazers. As a dad, you gaze into the mirror of God's word and you read, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And you do something. You adjust your schedule so that you can have quantity and quality time with them. You pour into their lives and constantly remind them that they are a child of God who loves them, who has a plan and a purpose for their lives. Doers are gazers, single adults you gaze into this mirror of God's word and you read the apostle Paul say, but I wish everyone were single just as I am because a single adult can spend their time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Christ rather than be divided with marital responsibilities. And you do something. You identify your spiritual gifts and passions and you look for ways to use your gifts in the church and in the community. You pour your life into the lives of others, serving the Lord with a reckless abandonment. Doers are gazers. And as a believer and a church member, you gaze into this mirror of God's word and then read, bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, and you do something. You stop robbing God of the tithes that are his, and you look at your finances, and you make adjustments to your budget, and you make adjustments to your lifestyle, and you either give at least a 10% tithe to the Lord, or you begin working towards it. Doers are gazers. And as a Christ follower, you gaze into the mirror of God's word and you read, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you do something. You're intentional in building relationships and you earn the right to share your faith with those who you do life together. You buy a passport and tell the Lord that you're willing to go wherever he wants you to go, whether it be a short-term mission or a life assignment. Doers are gazers.
we gaze into God's word and we see the reflection that comes back. And whatever comes back and we see what God is telling us, we're not just hearers, but we say, you know what, Lord? I got to do that. I got to do that. And they'll make an incredible change in your life. You say, really? What will happen? It says there, verse 25, it says, and he will be blessed in what he does. Doers of God's word will be blessed by the giver of the word. Doers of God's word will be blessed by the giver of the word. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And what God says is that, is that you will be blessed. And he promises us a deeper, fuller life. Doesn't promise everything's going to be easy. It's nowhere in scripture. But it'll be a deeper, fuller life that you will be living and leading because you are one who's a gazer into God's word. The Bible is not for academic exercises. It is a call to action. And what God says is when he gave us his word and he says, you need to do something. You need to see what I have put in here, this playbook for living, and you need to do something with it. Do something. And that's going to be our challenge as we go through this series. It is that we want to be a doer of the word, to be one that gazes in to the law of, perfect law of liberty. And as we look into that, that we do whatever it is that God's word says that we need to do. One of the things that God's word says is that, um, is that we are to continue to do the Lord's Supper. Jesus says in the midst of this Lord's Supper, as he was talking to his disciples, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And what he did was on the night of his arrest, as he has poured his life into these men for three years, he then is getting ready to celebrate a Passover supper with them. And as he's getting ready to celebrate this supper, he then takes this moment to share with them that two of the elements of the supper are going to have a different significance. And he said, when you get to the bread, it's going to represent my body, which will be broken for you, which they didn't understand what that meant at that time. But hours later, when they see him whipped and beaten and then crucified on a cross, they understood. And he said, this cup, this represents my blood, which will be shed for you. And when they saw all the blood that was being shed from the beatings and the blood that was shed from the cross, then they began to get an understanding of, of what that meant. And he says, when you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And so every time that you partake of this, you think of what Christ has done for us. And because he paid that penalty on the cross, and because he was willing to go, he did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And that is that he gave us access to God. We could not have access to God because we are sinful creatures and God is a holy God. And no matter what we try to do in our best of best of best efforts, there's no way that we could get to a perfect God. And so Jesus provided that way, that access, because he took all the junk in our lives and all the sin that separates us from God, and he says, I'll take care of it. 
I'm going to pay your penalty. Well, Jesus, the Bible says the penalty for this is death. He says, I will die. And I will die for you. And I will let my blood cover all of your sins. And when that happens, I have just built you an access to God. Now, I can only do so much. You got to make your decision. You got to choose. Do you want to take that path or not take that path? And sad to say, there are many that go, no, nah, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. But for many of us here, we have made that choice. And we have said, you know, I want to take that path. I want to receive you as the Savior of my life. I want you to come in, and I want your Holy Spirit to come in and help me live life. Help me to be able to come into a relationship with a heavenly father, to be his child, to be adopted into his family, and to know that while I live here on earth, I am living for him, and that one day when I take my last breath on earth, I take my first breath in heaven and spend eternity with God. And Jesus has provided all of this for us. And even as we focus on this and we see the fact that we think about his death, we also think about his resurrection because it was three days later when he, when he was raised from the dead that it showed that he had conquered sin, he conquered death, and he had provided that access way for us to get to heaven and to get to God. And so one of the things he said to his apostles is, you do this in remembrance of me. This is something that we want to do. And so today... In our service, as we think about a call to action, it is that we would do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. And as we partake of these elements, I want to ask you that in just a few moments when we, when we pass the elements to you, that you just hold on to those elements. And as you hold on to elements, we'll give you instructions as to when to partake of each one. But I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about God's word. I want you to think about the things that, that you have, that you've heard, that you've read, and find those areas in your life where all you've done is be a hearer and not be a doer. And in these few moments, right here in the pews here at Shays Mountain Baptist Church on this morning, it could be a powerful moment for you to say, you know what, Lord? I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of just being a pew sitter and a soaker. I really want to act on your word. You know what God's Spirit's going to do? He's going to bring some things to, you, to the surface that he says, you know, these are some things that you just kind of locked away and not allowed me to have any, uh, any input. This could be the day where you open up that door and say, you know what, Lord, I'm letting you in. I'm going to walk out of here today, and I'm going to be a doer of your word. And there'll be a difference. A difference in your life, different in your relationships, difference in your career. It'll make a difference. And so I'm going to ask our uh, ushers to prepare for their positions with the elements at, at this particular time. And as they're making this preparation, let me just talk to you as, as those who are in attendance here. We have what we call open communion. That means that anybody who's made a decision for Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, you can participate in this. And this is just for those who are believers in Christ. And so if you're here and you say, hey, honestly, uh, Danny, I'm, I've never made this decision. I've never asked Christ to come to my heart. I've, 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 I've never become a Christian or some of the other terms that, that you talk about then what I would ask you is to just take the things that we've talked about and think on them and, and, and allow God to speak to your heart. And then when the tray comes, just pass it on to, to the next person. 
But again, I want to remind others that are here, uh, you're believers, you're not a member of this church, you're not a, a Southern Baptist, but you're a believer in, in Christ. You can feel free to participate in this. We're all a part of the body of Christ, and so we want you to have that freedom to participate. Uh, in just a moment, I will have a word of prayer, and then as soon as I say amen, they'll begin to uh, pass the elements. You take it, you hold on to it, and then we'll give you some instructions. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that when you sent your son, that he didn't come just to teach us. And as wonderful as it is, the words of scripture and and the think about the four gospels and all that Jesus has said. But Lord, I'm thankful that he did something. And that is his whole purpose. And it was to come and to die on the cross for our sins. And I thank you that when it came the time to make that decision, he said, Lord, your will. And he went to the cross and he died for each one of us because he loves us so much. And I thank you that three days later, the power of the resurrection that gives us this hope, not only for today, but also for eternity. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts as we prepare to take this Lord's Supper. And when we do this, we do this in remembrance of you. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On that night, uh, in the midst of the meal, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Scripture teaches that they continued their meal. Then near the end of the meal, uh, he took the cup. And when he took the cup, he says, this represents my blood that is being shed for you. And he says, the blood of of a new covenant. Scripture teaches that as we partake of this Lord's Supper, we not only remember what he did, but we also remember what he said, and that is, he says that one day I'll be coming back. And so we look with anticipation toward the future for his return. Also said in Scripture that uh, after they partook, that uh, they sang a hymn. They had an opportunity to sing. And so we'd like to to do the same, is to have an opportunity to sing and uh, to sing our worship back to Him. So I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. And uh, Michael, if you'll lead us.